The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. Today I am just delighted to welcome back one of my favorite guests, psychotherapist and police consultant, Dr. Dorothy McCoy. Good morning, Dr. McCoy. Good morning, Francie. I'm so glad to be back. I'm glad to have you back, too. And we're going to talk about a seldom-discussed topic of police officer suicide. And, you know, since um, many, probably I would say 70 80%, of private investigators are former police officers. This is really a topic that's timely. Um, you know, the death of a police officer is really heartbreaking, but, you know, it's doubly heartbreaking when an officer takes his own life. Are it, you aware? It is. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know you've told me, uh, Dr. McCoy, that the number of officers killed in the line of duty is very similar to those who commit suicide as well. It is, and that's just a, a tragic, uh, tragic statistic. Um, we, we think of them out chasing the bad guys and mm-hmm. putting them away, but when you think that an officer has gotten to the point where they can only see one way out of uh, whatever it is that they're feeling mm-hmm. or in their situation, it's just tragic. It is tragic, and, you know, we, we hear... It seems like every day now we hear of some officer getting killed on duty. And yes. if you take that, because of suicides we never hear about usually, unless it's in our own jurisdiction. So if you take the number that you hear about of officers being killed, and that, that compares um, comparably to, to the number of officers who take, take their own lives, it's just astonishing. It is. It's a tremendous number, even though it, um, it, it doesn't sound huge when we just say the number, when you think of, because for every officer that's killed, there's uh, his or her uh, community mm-hmm. of other officers. Mm-hmm. There's his or uh, her family. There's his uh, community. All of these people are affected, and right. it's just the numbers then are huge. Really huge. And... and- Dr. McCoy, what made you become interested in this topic? 
I think I first became interested in the uh, topic back when I was at the South Carolina Criminal Justice Academy developing their Master in Stroke uh, Instructor Program and working in the Leadership Institute because I knew so many personally and also I was a, a state constable, so I was a law enforcement officer, uniform gun, all of that myself, mm-hmm. and I saw the stressors. And it, when I started hearing about the numbers in suicide, I was, I was absolutely fascinated and repulsed mm-hmm. that, um, At the that same this time, was happening. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that this was happening. And my first thought was, of course, what are we going to do about it? We've got to do something about this. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. So that's what I started looking at at that time, and that would have been back in 2005, 6, 7 is when I started. Now, and over the years, I know you've, you're have you author of a couple of books, A Manipulative Man, and another one, Should I Choose Anger? A Training for Law Enforcement, Security, and Leaders. Um, are you, do you have another book on the work, in the works? Well, actually, I've written four or five books. Oh, you've written four um, or five. <laughs> yes. I've written a couple <laughs> on personality quizzes because that's oh, yeah. just really fun. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then one on social phobia because that's a, a problem. And uh, two for law enforcement, the Master Instructor Manual, which uh, two or three of those articles have gone in. Um, Ilita from from that book, and then of course the one that's in the works right now, which I keep changing the title on, but it's the one that you just mentioned. Should I, the one should I choose anger? Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you said Ilita. What is that? That's the International Law Enforcement, uh, it's a journal for law enforcement uh, instructors, of course, around the world. Mm. And I've recently had three articles accepted for uh, that publication, which I'm very proud of because law enforcement instructors just do a phenomenal job. That's great. Well, it's nice to be recognized by an esteemed magazine such as that one. That too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, I know you got your PhD from uh, University of Sarasota, but I also know you got your master's in clinical counseling from the Citadel. It must have been an amazing experience to attend the Citadel. Oh, I love the Citadel. I absolutely love it. Now, I did not go through the core cadets because I didn't care much for the haircut, but I, <laughs> I did do my master's work, and I had the same instructors, the same professors that they did, and believe me, you didn't get away with anything there. I'll bet. I'll bet. Phenomenal school that I'm absolutely so proud of. So if you survive the Citadel, you're, you know, you're, you're set. You're good to go, yes. They even have a rule. They are so ethically uh, oriented. There's a rule, and I don't know if this is real or not, but I always heard it, that if you ever did anything to disgrace the Citadel because you were a graduate, they'd come and take your ring away. So Ah. I tried to be really careful, (laughs) just in case. Hide your ring. (laughs) (laughs) It's on my finger right now. (laughs) Well, so besides being a licensed professional counselor, you have an amazing number of designations and certifications. What are some of those? Well, it all, it all reverts back to understanding people and trying to help them to be the most they can be and to do something about what they don't like in their, in their life. How can it be changed? Mm-hmm. How can it be improved? So my 
Some of my favorite people in all the world, of course, are law enforcement officers, military, because my dad uh, is a Vietnam veteran. In fact, I can see a Vietnam uh, photo up on my wall in my office now. So these are the folks, the warriors Mm -hmm. out there that Mm -hmm. I really try to uh, support, but then I have um, various other interests, too. Well, and you're you you're a uh, diplomat with the American Academy of Experts in Traumatic Stress, uh, Traumatic Stress, right? Right, which uh, would be law enforcement That's... and uh, military. Okay, would be everybody, but primarily those two groups that I look at. And you're a certified cognitive behavioral therapist, right? Uh, that is just one of the therapies that's uh, that's offered, but it is probably the most recognized because it's evidence based. There's so much research that supports it. And I, I know you've done a lot with uh, crisis response. Um, you've been uh, chairman of the of a rape crisis center. Um, yes. An infant yes. fatality board. Right. Again, victims. I'm I'm drawn to mm-hmm. to victims and what they suffer and what can we do about it. That's always my main focus, not so much that what they've been through, but how can we make it better as much as that is possible. And there's a lot that can be done now. There really is. I'm I'm very optimistic. Yeah, and and you were appointed uh to the South Carolina Governor's Arson Task Force as well. That was that was a nice appointment, I think. That was nice. That was a long time ago, but I really enjoyed that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So um, any other things that I don't know about, any other appointments that that, uh, you really like to talk about? Not that I can think of right now, um, but then I'm a very focused person when I'm thinking about something like officer suicide. Everything else goes out of my mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll send you an email if no. I come up with these <laughs> <Okay>. things. <laughs> All right. So I know I know you counsel law enforcement. I know you've been a psychotherapist for years, and you know, along with your research and all of that. But let's let's go back to police officer suicide. What yes. are some of the warning signals? Okay. I wanted to read one thing, though. You've probably already read it, but I wanted to start out with this because it, it, it just hit me in the stomach when I, I read it, and, um, and you know it also. But a former law enforcement officer and, and publisher, um, we were talking by email about um, suicides, mm. not necessarily officers. Uh, because this is not an officer, but he saw this, which is also traumatic, and he wrote this. These are his words. He said, there's some very high bluffs overlooking Dana Point Harbor and the Pacific Ocean. I'd been called to many suicides on these bluffs. The last one drove off. Witnesses saw his brake lights Mm. come on halfway down. Mm. And that just hit me in the stomach, and I started thinking, how many officers, how many individuals Mm -hmm. would have stopped given the opportunity if they'd had 20 more minutes to think about Mm -hmm. it, 15 more minutes to think about it? And that just hit me. What, What can we do about this? And we also know from uh, some research on people that were very, very ill who asked their doctors to help them with assisted suicide, 90% of them changed their minds. Now, these are people that are in a great deal of pain. They have fatal disorders. 
90% of them change their mind. So that just, I thought, we've got to give them this break. We have got to find ways to step our foot in the door mm-hmm. before this happened. And intervene, now, for sure. To go back to your question, what was it? Warning signals. Warning signals. Okay. Now, they're going to be pretty much the same with all individuals, but some will be a little bit different with uh, with officers. One of the things that you want to look for is uh, when somebody changes, their behavior changes, uh, their mood changes, something is different. And we always hear, well, if someone says they're going to commit suicide, then you don't have to worry about it. They won't. Not true. Not true. No, quite often they will say things, sometimes vague, uh, such as uh, everybody would be better off if I was gone. Or they can come right out and say, I wish I were dead. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes they, they follow through. So take, those, take that very seriously. Well, and, and you know what, mm-hmm. what it feels like to me, um, Dr. McCoy, when somebody says something like that, is there mm-hmm. a kind of testing the waters, kind it of could be. seeing how it, it could feels be. to them. It could be that they are feeling so sad that they have Mm -hmm. to uh, express it in desperate. They could be, uh, okay, if I say this to you, how are you going to react, as Mm -hmm. you said. Um, It could be any number of things. And they can also begin to say goodbye. And it may not be, again, an obvious way, Mm -hmm. but say Mm -hmm. goodbye to friends and family or they may make a will they may write somebody an email and say, you know, you've always meant a lot to me because of this, this, and this. And if that behavior is unusual, then we need to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it, it, interesting you say that because that actually happened to uh, a friend of mine and sent out an email exactly like that wow. about 10.30 at night. and. You know, it just so happened that several of us got it at the same time and mm-hmm. reacted. And, oh, good. And actually went over to see him, and he's fine today. But, but it was amazing because he didn't want to talk to us. I mean, we, mm-hmm. <laughs> we forced mm-hmm. our way in the house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a good thing, too, because uh, it could have been a, a very different mm-hmm. outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yes, pay attention, and you paid attention, and, and your friends, and uh, thank God for that. Yeah. Now, so I, I hear, Dr. McCoy, that um, often if there's suicide in the family, um, an individual is more likely to take their life. Is that true? I have also heard that. I have seen that in some research. I have not looked it up lately to see what's the latest, but that has been my experience, and I've always also seen that, that uh, especially maybe a child, uh, when they're grown or when they're still a child. Well, mm-hmm. mom or dad did it. Uh, evidently, they thought that was a good way to handle problems when you weren't sure what to do. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of mindset you could understand. I can't imagine the despair somebody feels to get to the point to take their life. I can't even imagine. It's horrible. It, it, is, it is like being stuck in molasses, you, you can't move, you don't know what to do, you're confused, you're, you're sad, you're, you're without hope, and that's one of the things that is common. There's no hope 
for the future. In fact, I'll ask questions like that on my intake. Have you thought about committing suicide? Have you have you um, mm. developed a plan? Mm-hmm. Are you likely to do it? Do you feel hopeless? Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to know. And some people will say, well, we don't want to give them the idea. Well, you're not going to. Mm-hmm. That is not going to make someone go out and harm themselves because you asked. Interesting. Ask. That's an interesting statement. Huh. Because I do think people avoid uh, addressing it. They do. And they avoid talking about it when someone has a family member that commits suicide. It's almost like they stay away from them as Mm -hmm. if it was contagious or something. Mm -hmm. They don't know what to say. I'm sure that's what it is. They're they're kind, caring people, but they don't know what to say. And... uh, course, these family members have to have our support and our compassion and our caring also. Well, that's so interesting that you would say that because I think, I think people are afraid that they will say something wrong and, mm-hmm. and that will be the, the one thing that will push the other person over the edge. Well, to a family member that has lost someone, um, of course, the best thing to say is, I'm just so sorry that you're going through this. I'm mm-hmm. sorry this happened. And, and that is always something that is appropriate. That's really good advice. We're going to take a quick break. Dr. McCoy will be right back to discuss this troubling topic of officer suicide. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Dr. Dorothy McCoy has talked to scores of police officers over the years, and today she's sharing her thoughts, though, 
about officer suicide. So, Dr. McCoy, and we were talking about warning signs. What are some of the other things besides mood changes and talking about it? Well, you you may hear them uh, talk about things that are going on in their lives that are worrying them. You may see worry, despair, depression, anxiety, any of these uncomfortable types of emotions. You may in, you may notice that they're using more alcohol. You may smell alcohol on the person's um, breath. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these are all warning signs that something that is going on that's out of the normal, and that's what we want to look for. And, of course, some people are better at hiding it than others, too. Right. And, you know, the one I've heard from, actually, from somebody who actually did commit suicide is, you're better off without me. Mm-hmm. I've heard that, too. And I'm quick to jump in when someone says that and say, no. No, you you may believe that, but that is an irrational thought. Let's mm-hmm. sit down for a minute and let's talk about how the people in your life are going to feel the guilt they're going to feel, the despair they're going to feel, the people in your department or if it's not law enforcement in your uh, community, in your circle. That's something that, that has to be talked about because almost never, is it accurate? And so you're you're talking about taking somebody from looking inward, an inward focus, to looking outside of them. Oh, absolutely. Because if we come to the point where we're considering suicide, then we're not thinking rationally and logically anymore. We're thinking emotionally. Emotional mm-hmm. thinking is not a good way to go when you're making any kind of a decision, mm-hmm. much less a life-threatening decision. That would be being told that you have a serious illness and say, no, I don't, I don't think I'll take any treatment. Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just go on. I'll be fine. Don't worry. We, we have to think about it logically and rationally. And once you get people from their emotional domain over into their cognitive domain of thinking, often you can make progress. So is that what cognitive therapy does? Yes. It, it's a way of appealing to um, your, your um, rational side. Hmm. Uh, we have fifty to 70,000 thoughts a day somewhere in there. Um, many of them are irrational. Many of them are inaccurate. So it's a way of learning to analyze our thoughts, looking for the evidence to support those thoughts because we believe that they create our emotions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so when it comes to stressors, of course, police officers have many Oh, my goodness. Oh, they have so many. One thing I wanted to mention, too, are the numbers. Um, There's one organization that actually keeps track of the numbers. Now, these are reported to them how likely these are. It's Badge of Life, and it's known as the National Study of Police Suicides. So it's um, it's not an official uh, federal state organization. Uh They but they do this, and they do a, a really good job. Back in 2008 was their first survey, and that showed 141 suicides, 2009, 143, and the last one, 2012, which just came out the latter part of last year, 126. Now, hmm. the average age 
was 42, and the average years on the job was uh, 16. Now, we also, in comparing to the population at large, it's probably about the same. When you take into uh, consideration male, most police officers are male, Mm -hmm. and um, the age group, men in that age group, if you compare the two, it's pretty much the same. But then we have to think about this. Law enforcement officers are vetted. I've done those types of things. I know what we go through to find people that are are stable and rational and responsible and Mm -hmm. have a history of that. Right, and by by vetted, you mean there's a background check, there's a psychic evaluation. Oh, yes. There are interviews. There's all kinds of things. Yeah. So when you think, well, they've gone through all of that and still the suicide rate is as high, as the general population when considered Hmm. for gender and um, for age, then it it still sounds very high because the general population is not vetted. We know that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's it's up there, and uh, so we need to do something about it. Now, stressors, that when we look at that, it depends on who's talking about it. Now, that organization badge of life, They say some of the variables involved are um, they've been involved in maybe a shooting or an accident. There's a lawsuit. That's that's a problem. There are complaints. That's a problem. Uh, We also know if we're looking at um, the context of what's going on, they might be using a lot of sick leaves or having more accidents. Mm -hmm. Uh, There could be alcoholism or they're abusing alcohol, substance abuse, Maybe they're on or off job injuries, divorce relationship issues are very important, uh, grievances filed against them, um, there are resignations, there are morale problems maybe in the organization. Mm-hmm. All of these um, and many more can contribute to an atmosphere that makes it more likely now, some others, um, this was um, Dr. Violanti, and he's uh, an expert in the area, and he said that um, his studies show that they've been associated with shift work, inconsistencies in the criminal justice system, again, alcohol and substance abuse, personal legal troubles, and a negative public image. And alcohol, coupled with depression and chronic stress, is the most common triad uh, involved in law hmm. law enforcement officer suicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned the inner workings of the department. You know, having uh, a supervisor that's always on you would be real depressing, I would think, just by itself, you know. It would be, and in fact, in some of the surveys that I've seen in this country and in other countries, one of the top, at the top of, I don't like this, uh, would be the uh, administration, mm-hmm. how they're treated. Um, and I'm sure some organizations are absolutely wonderful, mm-hmm. but the hierarchy, the authoritarian mm-hmm. hierarchy that we have in law enforcement is not necessarily open to the best communication. Well, and if you think about that it's, it's the military system, and mm-hmm. if you look at how... 
uh, people describe their their experiences in the military with their drill sergeant, for example. Oh yes, <laughs> you can really understand what what sometimes happens within a police department. And uh, some others that Doctor uh, Violante uh, mentioned would be uh, danger. You know, there's danger out there. Shift work has to do with our sleep patterns, and that's that's a problem yeah. in itself. And working maybe more than one shift, so you're mm. exhausted. Mm-hmm. Public apathy, boredom, a sense of uselessness, and dealing with um, misery and death, and the our justice system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Boy, that that's a big one. Uh, that's a biggie. Yeah, yeah. Because I can certainly see how if you worked really hard to identify a perpetrator and get them arrested, and then for some reason the case gets dropped or it's pled out to a, a real low number, you would be upset. Yes, you you yes. think what what was the purpose and what Why I did? Why bother? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But again, that's when we have to think logically and rationally. My job was to bring this person in. That was my job. And I did my job well. And what they do from here on in the criminal justice system is beyond my control. I'm going to have to let that one go. Yeah, exactly. That's hard to do. We need to take another break. Don't go away. Dr. McCoy will be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Dr. McCoy and I are back. Dr. McCoy, um, you have a couple of uh, situations, personal stories, not your own personal stories, but stories about uh, situations that have happened. Could you share those with us? 
Sure. Uh, one that particularly was meaningful to me because I wondered what, what really happened. And this was a middle-aged uh, detective, a well-known and very successful detective in a large western city. And um, back in 2003, he came into the office. He sat down at his desk. He pulled out his service revolver, and he shot himself in the head. Now, there were co-workers sitting around who were mm. absolutely stunned. Mm. Mm-hmm. This was an officer they all knew well. Uh, he was well-liked, and they were left thinking, along with the chaplain, what? What in the world happened? Mm. And as you looked at some of the background information, he had suffered a number of losses. And we have to remember that losses build on each other. So the ones we knew about, he was divorced. His children had moved away from home. His mother had died. And um, the last thing that happened that we know about was his dog died. Now, what we don't know about could probably fill a book, but these were a number of personal losses in his life that were probably very meaningful to him. Is there any significance to him shooting himself at work? That's what I wondered. Very good call there, Francie. You're you're a good PI. Oh. Yes. I would I don't have an answer to that question, but if I were guessing, I would say he's giving a message. People often give a message with uh, suicide as they do with any act. Yeah. They're they're saying something. They're it's not written down, but there is something that they're trying to mm-hmm. tell us. Mhm. So, I would guess um, that he was um that there was a message that was being sent to that that department. I don't know what it was, but I I wish I just yeah. wish he had said it. You can speculate all kinds of things, like I'll, I'll show you, or right, you know, all kinds of See things. See what you yeah. did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, if though if that was the message, I don't know. I've known people that were actually so thoughtful that they would go to the funeral home and uh, park outside and shoot. Uh, shoot themselves. These were um, men and ones I know. <laughs> and I thought, I'm sorry, that just that just well, kind of took just, me by surprise. <laughs> I know it's just it's the opposite of the ones that are seeing, saying, "See what you did to me." Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is the person saying, "I want to make this as easy for everyone as I possibly can." Mm-hmm. Which is sad. It's very sad. It's very very sad. And. Um, who is more likely to commit suicide, a man or a woman? Women are more likely to try, and I, when I say try, um, I don't real, I don't know how serious a try it is, but they're less likely to complete. And they don't typically. They usually do it by some kind of drugs. Well, it, actually, that number is changing. It is used it? to be, but more are shooting themselves when I, the most recent uh, numbers that I saw on that. So that's changing some. It used to be poison or more likely sleeping pills or something of that sort. Mm-hmm. But um, I know of some uh, female police officers that have shot themselves. And, of course, again, we have we have a deadly weapon right there available. We're familiar with it. It's mm-hmm. a tool we wear every day, and right. it's just like the pin to the rider. 
and it can be used, and of course most officers do use their service revolver. Then there was another one, and this one's in uh, California. A young 26-year-old officer shot himself and his wife. Hmm. And then they and they were both officers and left. Uh, I think they were both officers and left behind two small children. Hmm. So we're left there. What what does this mean? And it probably wasn't connected to the job directly. It may certainly have been connected as far as stressors that created this this environment of um, desperation. You know, and I and. I know you, we haven't talked about PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome, but, uh, or disorder, but I would think that police officers would, would often have PTSD from the Quite kinds of things they're exposed to. Quite often. And also, we have to keep in mind that they will have some of the symptoms of post-traumatic uh, distress. Now, I see a lot of people with post-traumatic stress disorder. And some of them that have the have met the full criteria um, may not necessarily be as distressed as some of them that don't meet the full criteria, but the symptoms they do have are particularly uh, stressful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, and let me tell you just a little bit about post-traumatic stress so that people can be aware. Uh, one of the things, one of the symptoms is flashbacks, um, bad dreams where they're re-experiencing. It's a very real thing. It's not like you wake up from a dream and you're thinking, I can't remember half of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Frightening thoughts, uh, avoiding symptoms. They want to avoid situations or avoid symptoms or avoid activities that remind them of these um, these traumatic experiences. Uh, hyperarousal, maybe they can't sleep, they're easily startled, they're hypervigilant, always knowing what's going on, mm-hmm. uh, which is not terribly unusual, that part for uh, a law officer. My husband's a law enforcement officer and he insists on sitting in a restaurant <laughs> so that he can see the door. Exactly, so. <laughs> my husband too. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just used to that. But if you put all of these together and it's around a specific or maybe several specific traumas, then this is something that needs to be looked into. Somebody somebody needs, a professional needs to look at this and see what's going on because post-traumatic stress, from my experience, is easy to work with. It's relatively easy to work with. We can make a difference. Let us try. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's great. So, So if you... Uh, suspect that somebody might be in this deep depression or thinking, having recurring thoughts of suicide. What can what can we do as individuals, lay people that have no training? Well, I call those roadblocks. We can we can try and put up roadblocks. We can remember we were talking a while ago that if given fifteen more minutes or thirty more minutes or somebody suggests another option, something, we can make a difference. We can put a roadblock so that they have to slow down and not rush right into this irrational act. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of those, we can we can talk. Um, you know, I've noticed some things going on. Uh, you, you seem a little different. Um, is there something I can do? 
just Mm -hmm. saying that, bringing it out into the open, they might be willing to say, yeah, you know, I'm I'm a little worried about this. I'm concerned about this. This is going on. If they don't do that, you might suggest, uh, is there someone you do feel comfortable talking to? It could be your physician. It could be someone with the department. I love the peer groups. That's really wonderful because sometimes an officer will talk to a peer mm-hmm. who is specially trained where he or she would not speak to a, a therapist. Um, well, and let me ask you, Dr. McCoy, mm-hmm. isn't there, um, I can't think of the word used for, for it at the moment, but isn't there some kind of a uh, resistance to going to see a police psychotherapist? There's a resistance in the general population of going to see a therapist. Period. They, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I get funny looks when I tell people what I do, but it's um, it's something that is it's it's less than it used to be. It's it's going down. But yes, they might feel uncomfortable. I'm not crazy. I, I don't need to talk to a uh, a shrink. Well, aren't they also afraid it's going to get back to the department? It's yes. going to get in their records or it's going to affect yes. their job somehow? Yes. And what I recommend, if you're, if you're concerned about this, okay, I, you may have something, you may have a legitimate reason, I don't know, but you can go to a therapist. Um, find someone that's uh, used to working with military or law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Nor, they're familiar with your culture, and they're familiar. They have a fairly good su- uh, success rate. Ask them these questions. What's your success rate? Mm-hmm. Uh, have you dealt with law enforcement? And if you're concerned, that really bothers you. Pay them cash. Don't don't use your insurance. Don't use your EAP mm-hmm. um, because there's there's no. Um, there's no paper trail there. I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm just saying if the officer is really, really concerned and right. is keeping him or her from going, then you can do this. I have officers that do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that's actually the biggest thing I've heard is that, oh, I, I, can't, I, I can't go to a work-related psychotherapist because it will get in my records. And if they're concerned about that, then this is what they need to do. Yes, it will cost them some money. Ask for a discount. There's nothing wrong with that. I give Uh a discount to law enforcement. Uh And uh, go. Just go. Because we can't live our lives being miserable. We deserve to be happy. Just go. Uh Uh You know, and the other, uh, probably the other roadblock is that they think it's not going to do any good. And I can understand that, too. If they are not familiar with it, if they go by what they see on television, Mm -hmm. and I will tell you this, my success rate is somewhere around 85%. Mm -hmm. uh, And, you know, that's for everything. And most therapists are probably going to be similar. Ask them, what is your success rate? Mm -hmm. Uh, These things, especially anxiety uh, issues, depression issues, they can be treated. There are medications sometimes, too, which isn't always needed. Mm-hmm. But if it is, then that's okay, too. And but, some, yes, it, it works. You know, some people don't want to take medication. How do, you, how do you handle that? I begin working with them without the medication, and if I see 
that they're not going to be able to progress unless they have help. For instance, they are so depressed they cannot follow what I'm doing or do their homework in between. Then I'm going to have to talk with them about medication and seeing a physician to um, to work on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're not a psychiatrist, so you don't. No, you, you no, don't I don't prescribe. No. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Okay, we're going to come right back. More to come with psychotherapist and police expert, Dr. Dorothy McCoy. Stay tuned. This is really interesting. Stay tuned. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Dr. Dorothy McCoy and I have been discussing the unfortunate scenario of officer suicide. Dr. McCoy, what, um, what kinds of things are available for police officers if, they, if they're feeling depressed or or families that see that somebody needs help? Uh, there's a tremendous amount out there. I am, I am so glad about that. It started with, or uh, one of the areas it started with, the 1994 Crime Act. The President and Congress recognized the severity of law enforcement job stress, and they mandated a federal government response. So that included um, doing research around it, providing money, and one of the things they did was they provided funds to the Metro Nashville Police Department for um, to start a new program and see what they could, um, how it worked. 
and they have a wonderful program. You can go uh, to the Metro Nashville Police Department, look on the website. They not only have resources for the officers, but just as important in some cases, they also have uh, resources for the family. Maybe the family's seeing something and they don't know what to do. So they can call these, um, these officers that have volunteered and they've been specially trained, and so you can call them. They have a 24-hour hotline. And these uh, these programs are not unusual. Many of the large departments have these available. And there's also, um, if you'll go on the website for the uh, IACP, the International um, Chiefs of Police, Mm-hmm. They have a CD that's available. Um, they just did a new one after um, a, um, a conference that they had last year of many people that are experts in this area, certainly more experts in this area than I am. So they have a CD available that has all kinds of great things, developing a suicide prevention program, sample suicide prevention materials, sample training materials, sample presentations, and just all kinds of wonderful things. And there are other organizations and hotlines, and if they will contact me, if anybody will contact me at drmccoy86 at AOL or 919-245-1034, I will be glad to point you in the right direction. Okay, can you repeat that? Because I couldn't even write it down. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's uh, D.R. McCoy. All one word. 86. Okay, yes. all one word. Okay. And at AOL.com. Okay. Or, or call me, 919-245-1034. Look me up. I'm online, um, Dr. Dorothy McCoy. You can find how to get in touch with me, and I will be happy to point you in the right direction or point a department in the direction of uh, all the resources they could ever want in their lives. That's terrific that you're offering that. Thank you so much. That is. Oh, I'm terrific. glad to. Yeah. Okay, so um, so I, I'm really glad to hear about the Metro Nashville uh, Police Department, their program, and you're saying that those people that are connected with that, the volunteers, will actually, uh, it's kind of like a hotline. It is, and there are other hotlines out there. That is, that's not the only one. There, there are just tons of resources. Now, if it's someone is at a smaller department without some of these wonderful resources, then there are organizations available that mm-hmm. they can uh, that they can contact and they have hotlines so there's any number of things out there if you just google uh, resources for law enforcement anxiety uh, depression there's so much and as I said I'm more than happy to um, to help people find those resources and you know I'm, I'm just thinking that I'm sure uh, there's no doubt in my mind that police officers former law enforcement officers, people that have left the force for whatever reason, retirement, injury, or whatever, still have these hanging over their head. Oh, yes. Just because you walk out the door doesn't mean your trauma goes away. Exactly. So having this available to them um, is, is wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, my pleasure. So um, are there any other resources that are available that you, that you can mention? 
Well, let's see. There's some out there. I haven't. This is actually from my book, one chapter in my book that's uh, at the publishers now, and I have resources in the back of it. One of them is the National Police Suicide Foundation. Mm-hmm. The Police uh, Suicide Law Enforcement Mental Health Alliance. Okay. There's the All of in these harm- can be Googled, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. Okay. In Harm's Way, Law Enforcement Suicide Prevention. Cop Line, which is a hotline. Uh-huh. 1-800-267-5463. 1-800-267-5463, okay. Correct. And, of course, there's, again, there's the International um, Police, uh, International Chiefs of Police Organization, and if you go to their website, they have all kinds of really wonderful things on there, resources. Yeah, I was just, I went there while you were talking. I was just um, looking for the suicide part, and I didn't see it under... Um... <laughs> It's not as easy to find because that is an absolutely uh, tremendously large website. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I took a little time finding it the first time because I knew the resource was there, but it took me a little bit of time to find it. I will email that to you because I'm sure I have it um, that they will be able to and you will be able to go directly to it. Oh, you know what? I just did a search. Oh, yeah, it, it came up, yeah. It came up, and it has all all kinds of resources, hundreds. Yes, it looks it does. like hundreds of resources, starting out with developing a suicide prevention program for your department. Mm-hmm. So, and sample suicide prevention materials and all of that stuff. So, that this is a yeah, this is a great source. Oh, it's amazing what's out there. Yeah, and I'm I'm hoping that every department has a peer group not only for to prevent suicide because um, we know it's important to treat anxiety. And in mm-hmm. fact, they found that treating anxiety, having general programs for anxiety may be as important, if not more important, than the, um, the suicide prevention. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's go back to you have, what would you say, Dr. McCoy, uh, to a family member that you thought might have these tendencies? Where would you go with that? If I were a family member and uh, I had someone that I thought might uh, commit suicide, is that what you're saying? Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. Or that, I, that ha- I or talk, having those recurring thoughts. Right. I would talk to the person, just bring it right out in the open. Don't be afraid to bring it out. Um, if I didn't, wasn't able to get a response from there, I'd start looking for those resources. I would make the person aware of them. I would ask someone if I knew someone in, in mental health or maybe the person had a minister, someone like that, I would say, you know, this, this is just something I'm concerned about. It may be true. It may not be true, but it's on my mind. Mm-hmm. So don't keep it to yourself. Um, start asking people that might be able to, to help you. Do you use the word suicide? You can if that's what you're thinking because if if your loved one has not said, I'm going to commit suicide, you don't know that right. that's what's going to happen. But you can say, this is my concern. Yeah. I don't know this. It hasn't been said. But this is my own fear and share and, that. And you were saying earlier, don't be concerned about putting the thought in their head. 
Oh, no. No, if you're talking to the person that you think might be thinking about suicide, you've seen some of these signs, and you're thinking, uh, you might ask, are you thinking about hurting yourself? Is that what's going through your mm-hmm. mind? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they may say, I mean, I've had people say it, yes, that and, I am thinking about that. And that's, a, I think, better than the word suicide. Suicide seems to be a real hot button word. Well, that's not the word I use. I yeah. use, are you thinking about hurting yeah, yourself? Yeah, yeah. I like that. That's that's great. You know what, Dr. McCoy? We're at the end of the hour. I can't believe it. Oh, <laughs> darn. <laughs> You're so interesting to talk to. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank um, you so much for asking me. And to my listeners, if you're interested uh, in any kind of advertising on PIs Declassified, you can contact my wonderful producer of the show, Sandra Rogers, at Sandra, S-A-N-D-R-A dot Rogers, R-O-G-E-R-S, at voiceamerica.com. So tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators and help from Dr. McCoy. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Hi, I'm Ed Krell. 